0: Welcome to episode 192. Health challenges seem to be more common than being healthy in today's age, and the reason for that is usually something that you have control over. It's actually very rare that you were dealt a shitty hand in the genetic lottery, And so if you're someone that is suffering with some type of disease or regular gut issues like IBS, IBD, chronic diseases like diabetes or cancer, or any type of autoimmune disease, then today's conversation is definitely one for you to tune into because we talk about how today's guest essentially moved from a place of having 98% of her liver failing her, the drugs she was taking making her feel terrible, and looking down the barrel of being on the liver transplant list, All the way across to healing her body with whole real food and getting off all of the drugs in the process, plus totally reviving her liver and the other organs that suffered in the process. We also talk about veganism and nutritional deficiencies, organ meats, and the plant based messaging of our current government and food system. It's a good episode, it's a deep dive, it's a real story. So the question is can food be superior to medicine? Let's dive in and find out. What's up, my healthy friends? Glad you're here with us getting your latest dose of health mania. And if you're legitimately serious about making some moves in 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people to get control of their emotional eating so they can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food. The link is down in the show notes to get onto the waiting list. So scroll down there, fill in the application form, and let's change your life by never going on a diet ever again. All right. Today's guest in many ways feels like a sister from another mister. We've got the hilarious Rachel Favilla, a fellow Aussie who loves all the same things I love. Basically we're a match made in gluten-free heaven. Rach is a passionate clinical nutritionist with a bachelor of health science majoring in nutritional and dietetic medicine. She's also a yoga teacher, author, comedian, astrologer, energy healer, speaker, and a high school teacher in training. And she's a woman after my own heart in the way that she gets a real kick out of marrying health with humour, science and soul. She's best known for her hilarious books, rejuvenating yoga classes, nut butter obsession, hashtag me too, and intensely passionate dislike of the notorious herbicide roundup, of which all of these things stem from a very terrifying and very serious journey with her health at a very young age, of which we're going to talk a little bit about today. So, without further ado, the author of Periods, Pooh and the Glorious You, welcome to the show, Rach, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well, Maddie, how are you?
0: I am wonderful. I am adjusting to this Melbourne winter that has seemingly appeared out of nowhere. (laughs)
1: Shock to the system.
0: Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, So first, before we get into it, I just want to do a quick shout out to Naomi. Naomi is a client of mine that connected the two of us, that pointed me in your direction. So I just wanted to give Naomi a mention because she's amazing. um, And obviously, you are too, because Naomi's amazing. Um, So, but I would love to learn about your story.
1: Oh, she is a queen.
0: Oh, total queen, total queen.
1: Yes, we love you, Naomi. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so shall we go back to when I was 14 and go from there, do you reckon?
0: Yeah, totally. Because, yeah, you well, went on one hell of a yeah. journey from a very young age and, you know, just to give those on YouTube a bit of a teaser, um, I read, read about your journey in your book and I've heard you on a few different podcasts and I guess – the journey you went on sounds like a really sort of transfiguring experience. So maybe to give the listeners, you know, the highs and lows of that journey would be a good place to start.
1: Sure. So when I was 14 years old, I was diagnosed with the long name is Chronic Active Autoimmune Inflammatory Hepatitis Type 1. I just call it autoimmune hepatitis because who's got all day to say that? Um, And basically, that's the nerdy definition or sorry, title for um, a condition where your or what we think what happens as far as we know so far is where your immune system gets a little bit confused and attacks your liver thinking it's a pathogen or something it needs to destroy when really it's your largest internal organ. Um, And I suppose the the weird thing was like, because the body is so resilient, like I love the body, it's amazing, but other parts of my body just kept adapting. So as my liver got sicker and sicker, the other other organs seemed to just be t- picking up the slack. So I had a whole cluster of symptoms, but they could have all been ex- explained by by something else. It was quite bad all clustered together, but you could really justify them with other things. And I was 14 and I didn't really want, you know, a whole lot of appointments. I didn't want that, all that attention sort of stuff. I'm like, I just want to be normal. like. Um, but like um, I wasn't growing. I wasn't developing. I had a whole lot of, I didn't, I didn't even think of them as food intolerances. I just was so confused. My relationship with with food was awful and my body image and just all of that. And I was, I think I was exhausted and I had these massive bags under my eyes all the time, but You're kind of like, well, lots of 14-year-old girls struggle with food issues and they don't want to talk about them and most kids are exhausted, unfortunately, these days and I guess bloating has become so normal it's not really seen as like a condition or it's like, I don't know, like maybe you're making it up so you don't have to eat. Yeah. So basically by the time um, it was found, I'd lost 98% of my liver, well, at least 98% of my liver function. Yeah, not fun. And this was just before Christmas as well. So, Merry Christmas, you filthy oh, animal. No. Was, was that year? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, my Christmas presents for that year were like a whole cocktail of medications, like high dose steroids, yeah. immune suppressants, yeah, some I can't even pronounce. I think ursidoxycholic acid, something like that. Oh, I did say it. There we go. Um, yeah, but- and yeah. And basically, I I don't know if it's just that my body didn't respond to medication or whether it was more the fact that my liver just – the liver has to metabolize medication and mine just wasn't up for the job. So if anything, they made me sicker. So then – so that we think I got diagnosed in December. We flash forward to September and I had another liver biopsy and I was not getting better. Um, So I was put on another medication. Uh, It was a more intense immune suppressant and my gastroenterologist was like – look, I really haven't wanted to put you on this. It could destroy your kidneys, but if I don't put you on this, I think you're going to lose your liver and you'll need a transplant and then you'll be on immune suppressants forever, basically just so your body doesn't reject the organ. Um, Yeah, and in this time I'd started to really notice that as much as I really didn't tolerate a whole lot of different foods, there were some that I did tolerate really well and would make me feel amazing. And so I was like, okay, there's some foods that make me feel like crap and others that make me feel... Good and the medication is not doing anything. Well, what about all this other stuff I'm putting into my body? Maybe there's something in that. So I don't think I listened. There was like there really weren't podcasts back then, or not that I was listening to. I didn't really watch YouTube or anything like that. It was just this, this hunch. So I started reading food labels and I was like, I don't even what. But this looks so good on the front, and the nutrition panel looks okay because we're always taught, you know, look at the nutrition panel. And oh, oh my god, no, guys, just look at the ingredient list. And I'm like, this probably shouldn't be going into my body. I can't pronounce it, um, so I basically got rid of anything that I that wasn't real food. Basically, so just I went onto Whole Foods. I got I learned mm-hmm. about Roundup. I think there was a magazine at the health food store that said about the spraying of certain grains, and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe not. And this was like the bare minimum. Like we still didn't have all this other research about Roundup, but that was enough for me. So I got rid of um, modern wheat and corn and soy and stopped vegetable oil like yesterday. Ugh. Um anyway, <laughs> and I started to go into sorry all my expressions, but seriously. I love um, it. I and love I started it. I I started to go into remission. And started to get weaned off my medication so first of all this really intense one that could have destroyed my kidneys which it didn't thank goodness I got off that then my other immunosuppressants got weaned down I got off steroids and over several years I got off all medication and then flash forward to 2019 so I was diagnosed in 2010 in 2019 I had a liver scan and it was finally regenerated I've been in remission for ages yes and really i mean i suppose most people would probably go what you do is extreme like you never eat anything that's inflammatory ever you like mm-hmm. that's you, like some people would probably say oh that's actually a little bit disordered you need to live a little and i'm like i'm trying to live that's why i don't do that <laughs> yeah. um but yeah like i didn't do anything i would say like that was what what i would say is anything we should think of as extreme i just ate real food and over time i did probably try different diets because I was young and impressionable and I'm like, oh, well, if, you know, a little bit of um, thought is good, maybe a lot more is better. And a lot of the time that wasn't really the case. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that was kind of, I just got into remission and that was like the height of like the keto paleo movement. And so I thought that would be a good idea, really didn't work for me, but I tried it. Mm -hmm. Um, In and amongst all of that, though, as well, because I suppose I was this teeny tiny Um, human and female and A-type personality and all of that. As I started to change my food, I also got diagnosed with an eating disorder because I looked the part and all of a sudden I was refusing things like dairy and Gluten and, you know, smart move. things. <laughs> yeah, I know, but apparently that's a, a mental illness these days. Um, and yeah. so I think that was probably even more challenging than the autoimmune hepatitis itself. I mean, that's not fun. It, you feel awful all the time and you have to get blood tests and surgeries and all of that. But it was the fact that the, my medicine was food. And for a period of time, I wasn't actually allowed to use that medicine. So then anytime I tried to and I was like, I can't have this, it makes me feel sick, I would, my doctors had convinced my parents that it was an eating disorder and so they'd yell at me and be like and they well they were told her oh, you've got voice your daughter has voices in her head and it's like you know they're telling her to starve herself and I'm like it's like it's my voice just saying this makes me feel sick and then I got really confused I'm like maybe I'm crazy I don't know all the crazy people always think they're saying don't they um yeah
0: that's a good so, point right
1: yeah so Turns out it was, was the a-
0: voice of reason <laughs>
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. it was my gut being like yo bitch listen up <laughs> um yeah the vagus nerve was like ring ring um anyway so yeah that was thankfully though I think finally I think we put two and what well, I'd put two and two together and eventually my mum and my dad were like um she's just eating real food her blood tests are getting better when she followed all the other advice didn't really do anything mm-hmm. maybe we should listen to her so I mean me and mum like joke about it now and like you know sometimes even now my GP like my mum went the other um day and she asked about me she's like how's Rachel I think she was kind of fishing for my mum to be like I'm really worried about her she's looking very thin and mum was like she's never looked better she's so happy and I was like queen mum yes (laughs) so yeah that was that and like there was as you've been reading my book like there's obviously other misadventures and stuff like that we could just go into the Goldstone misadventure as well but in a nutshell that's kind of where I got to where I am today with my passion
0: Yeah, thanks so much for sharing that because it's obviously a massive struggle and um, has defined in many ways who you've become, you know, in the nutrition and dietetics world and as an author. Um, But that gaslighting, that medical gaslighting is so incredibly common because of the way that uh, the medical system is trained to think. And it's to think that the, like, intuition and self-awareness are not measurable tools and therefore they have no validity. Um, and there's so many people that I talk to as well that have been repeating the same types of things to their own doctors about their, how they feel or how medications make them feel or you know when they go off the medication they feel better or things change. And because it's not in a paper somewhere, that anecdotal piece of evidence is disregarded.
1: Yeah, it's infuriating and you kind of think of it, you're like, even when when we do have the piece of paper, we've discovered it, but it was already true before it was on PubMed. Yes. Like, so are we seriously going to wait for every single pit of truth to be on PubMed before we put it into action? Like, we'll be waiting a long time. So.
0: Well, but that's how a lot of doctors and scientists think that it's literally not true until it's published by Western Medicine, which is mm-hmm. just... So naive.
1: <laughs> I know. It's it's just I can – almost cannot – I mean, I can believe it, but I'm always almost like, really? Because these – but I suppose it's just – yeah, we're so conditioned that way. So unless we've kind of – I suppose unless you've had that personal experience or known someone, I think it gives you a little bit of sass. You're like, okay, but I've lived experience, so thanks for your opinion. obviously. Awesome.
0: Yeah, <laughs> totally. And, and until like – I mean, we're kind of raised – um, I often talk about this idea, right? This is a bit of a tangent, but I'll circle back Love around. Um, yeah, is that if if uh, an ice age happened or an asteroid hit the Earth, and there was a few people left, and then we had a new generation of kids, and we were telling them about the internet, it would literally sound like God, right? We like it and, and which really makes you think about the history of the earth, right? It's like where did maybe the internet has existed ten times and it was always God. But my point is that we're raised in this world as li- from little kids with science being like this overarching ruling like power that rules everything. And so People are we saw in the last two years how easily led people were by the word of science. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so we've got this kind of in, entrenched in our Western culture.
1: I know it's, it's been kind of. I mean, it's not funny. The last two years have not been funny. But if we want to just take all humanity out of it and just look at it, it's a little bit hilarious to like follow it because they're like, "Well, what we don't know this, but what we do know is." And then a month later, it's not the same thing. But but now we know but now we know it's like do you and I know I'm at the point I'm like do you even know at like really I just I'm losing faith if I had any before
0: yeah I'm I'm not too far behind you but but that's why conversations like this exist to uh pique people's curiosity to possibly different outcomes in life
1: (laughs) yeah
0: 100% I'm really curious about when um with that sort of drive or, or push towards the whole real foods is that like you know a lot of people don't have whole real foods especially as kids even in their life so did you have parents that like did you at home were you sort of eating vegetables was a normal part of life um, is that why you had the awareness that these foods made you feel better because thinking of when i worked in the hospital is that yeah real food was not a thing and i mean like mcdonald's was in the children's hospital right <laughs> like so you know, it's amazing to me that as a child you were like, oh, I, I feel pulled towards or moving towards uh, whole real food makes me feel better.
1: Mm, um, well, my diet wasn't amazing as a child, but I did always love vegetables. So I was kind of like I loved carrots and I loved lettuce and I loved like all of that sort of stuff. But then also like pancakes, hot dogs, pizza, corn chip, like that was probably the bulk of my diet, but then the vegetables would make an appearance. Mm-hmm. Um and we wonder how I got an autoimmune disease. Um, <laughs> but, but I think, yeah, I think it was very much that, like, I'm 25 now, so I very much grew up in that era where you kind of, if it was like, but if you're active and your teeth are okay, then it doesn't really, like, nutrition was important, but we, re- we weren't, we, we'd never taught about the gut
0: mm-hmm. ever.
1: So it was kind of like, my parents were like, well, she's really active, so it's okay that she's having, you know, chocolate and all of this sort of stuff. We'll just make sure she has her vegetables as well. And, and look, I think it worked for, like, the first 10 years of my life. And then when I was 11, I started falling into, like, waves of depression and anxiety, which I ne- I was not that sort of a kid. That's not really my natural disposition, um, which and I'm thinking it was probably partly I probably developed autoimmune hepatitis around that age, so probably my mm-hmm. hormones were all over the place anyway. Um but it was like it just wasn't – I just I just didn't have the nutrition, especially I was quite a sporty kid as well, so I would have just been ripping through my nutrients and yeah. not replenishing them um, at all. I think um, – I'm trying to think. I think it for foresh- like I became interested in nutrition, like I remember at a, probably about 11 or 12 years old, like I'd go to the library and I'd read Healthy Food Guide magazine and I'd borrow all the back issues and I'd like – yeah, I'd, and I loved cooking. So I think I started to become interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um But I suppose it was very much the mainstream nutrition. That's all I knew, all I really thought I had access to. Um, I think I just started to question it when I started reading ingredient lists. And that was just, I don't, I honestly think that was just intuition. I think that was divine, just some sort of download. Because then I was like, hang on, why are these magazines that I've been looking up to and these dietitians that write for these magazines, why are they recommending this margarine that has is made from vegetable oil like you shouldn't be heating vegetable oil like we probably shouldn't be using vegetable oil to begin with but we (laughs) really shouldn't be heating it up and then bleaching it and dyeing it and adding in the nutrients that we could have gotten had we just had butter like it just didn't make sense to me and so yeah um i think it was into it was partly interest partly intuition i think Mm -hmm. that got me into it yeah
0: Yeah, and it's interesting too, like we're in this speaking of Western medicine and being in this modern world is that there's kind of also an obsession with diagnoses like classifying a set of behaviours and I've heard a lot of uh, people that have have made healthy changes, which I, as you know, like you as a nutritionist, would regard as a good move, be classified as obsessive or orthorexic, um, which an orthorexic yeah. can be a thing, but like mm. you know, at the extreme end of the of the spectrum. But it's just interesting that, and even in social circles now, like you know, you start getting judged for being a health nut or a health freak, and it's like, oh, I just had one salad, bro, chill, chill out. <laughs> I
1: know. You're like, oh, we almost be getting our five a day, like really, <laughs> calm down. Yeah. Yeah, it's just I feel oh, I feel like society has a disordered relationship with food, so then yes. those of us that heal our relationships with food, we're the disordered ones because God forbid you boycott a takeaway place because they refuse to cook with coconut oil, you know. Just-
0: totally. I'm so with you on that, that society has a disordered relationship with food. What What do you think has brought that about?
1: I think we're just we're so, we're so connected with our, um, you know, speaking of the the internet, or maybe it's God, who knows. Um, (laughs) But we're so disconnected from our bodies. And like you said, science, but like, not even actual science, like we're both science backgrounds. Science is amazing. But it's the one thing that is certain in science is that nothing is certain, like that's, it's always evolving. And yet, modern science is kind of like, quite arrogant. And it's like, we know this because we studied this thing in these tight controlled conditions. It's like the study wasn't done on your body. So we're, I think we're so busy that we are just not tuning in with our bodies. And then we often, unfortunately, are really disempowered because we're like, well, I don't have a degree. I'm not a scientist. Who am I to question the experts? And they gaslight you as well when you do try to question them. They're like, no, honey, that's an eating disorder. Um, And then we've got like big food and, you know, marketing and like big agriculture as well. And the government, they're all in bed together, um, metaphorically speaking, or maybe I don't actually know what happens. Maybe as well. I don't, anyway. Um, (laughs) But it's kind of like that, you just look at some of the biggest industries in the world and they rely on us not knowing about how many foods are sprayed with Roundup and what we've done to the food and we're addicted to things as well and there's marketing and then there's all the 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 diet crazes come into that as well and then the food industry get on back at the back of them and they're like yeah this is keto and you look and it's like mostly erythritol and you're like sugar alcohols are not food um so it's just it's multifactorial but I just think we're so disempowered to be educated and then when we do start to get educated we get bullied um and it's unless you've got a really solid tribe of people that support you, you almost start questioning yourself and going, maybe it's not worth it.
0: Yeah, well, and you mentioned a really good point there about the tribes and that's that anyone that's done a nutrition or health degree of any kind has learnt that social determinants of health are more powerful than the food you eat, then, you know, your genetic code because we are uh, pack animals and we choose to be accepted. Our primary thing is to be accepted by the pack or the tribe, that we, the social group that we are attached to and our behaviours will follow, which is why if you try and do something a little bit different like order salad instead of, you know, a burger, um, you'll get judged and it won't be long until you get pushed back into the box that everybody expected you to be in in the first place. And I think that that social element... Um, like there's not enough information out there about the social element and that you are the average of your five closest people, which sounds like a one of those regurgitated motivational speaker lines, but it's actually true in medicine and health.
1: Mm, oh, 100%. And that's a really good point as well. I think we're so, I mean, don't get me wrong, food and exercise are important. Oh, so important. But So important. But you're right, like there are these other things, like I think we're really starting to understand sleep and as much as screens are good we do need to disconnect from technology to kind of recharge we do need time in nature we were talking before off there about like putting our feet on the earth that's you know that activates the antioxidant pathways in the body maybe better than food like science is still figuring that out but I just yeah and then the social side of things is like you're almost better better off I'm not condoning this I'd rather you did both but you're almost better off having really good friendships and laughing every day and having Mm. a pretty average diet, than having the most wholesome diet in the world and being lonely and never laughing. Yeah. Like, yeah, so it's I think we're really starting to get back now. I have seen this transition of, like, holistic and, like, everything, not just these flash-in-the-pan things or just this really extreme. It's a balance. But when I say a balance, I don't mean 80-20 putting inflammatory stuff in sometimes. I mean, like, just real whole foods but not anything. It doesn't have to be extreme. Mm -hmm. I think it becomes extreme when people do try to do the quote-unquote cheat because they're like, well, I have to be so clean in this window because I want to do this over here. It's like if you just eat real food on the whole and hang out with wholesome people on the whole and get a good sleep most nights and exercise most days, you don't have to be so down-to-the-wire pedantic about it.
0: I saw um, something amongst my studies a few years ago. It was a quote from like the 50s and it it said – Modern science is going to spend the next 500 years proving old wives' tales.
1: Yeah, but like, they are. Yeah, That's I know. What they're currently doing.
0: <laughs> I know. It's like we're going to go through this gap in history where it's like there's been all this wisdom from Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, and Aboriginal medicine, and these things that have been around for thousands of years. And then there's just going to be this like couple of hundred-year period where they were like, nope, stop all that. And then they, at the other end of it, they were like, oh, turns out, turns out you were right.
1: Ugh. <laughs> uh.
0: So I'm really curious to ask you, like yesterday we were talking a little bit just very briefly about politics and I've been doing sort of my own study in in recently into health policy and the way that um, sort of that works bureaucratically, which is absolutely soul sucking subject, but it's necessary to understand how the world we live in today sort of came to be and what the challenges are and you know, the challenges with actually creating a, a healthy city or a healthy country or a healthy planet. Um, there's, you know, like you said it before, it's multifactorial and especially on a, you know, a global scale, it's it's not just a simple, well, get everybody to eat vegetables. There's a lot of other problems in that hierarchy and it's, a, it's very much a rabbit hole kind of subject, but there's the thing that I'm curious about is that, um, because every time I go down these rabbit holes, I rarely find amazing information that I'm, you know, filled with hope with. And I've joked about calling the podcast Maddie Ruins Everything because <laughs> the, the corporate capitalist truth behind a lot of this health stuff is disappointing. In some instances, it's dark, uh, bordering on unbelievable. So I say all this to lead me to a question that I wanted to ask you, which is that, with your desire to become a teacher and teach nutrition and teach health, as I understand it, you'll be forced to teach the food pyramid and promote a diet that's high in grains. So, where are you at with that or what are your plans or how do you like intend to show up as a teacher or how do you reconcile with those sort of conflicting views? Because I, I I, challenged every one of my lectures on a regular basis um, you know, about these ideas that they're forced to teach.
1: Yes. Um, well... I've, so many people have said that to me. They're like, it's going to suck your soul. I'm like, yeah, but they have to be, like, it's not, we know it's not going to come from top down. It's going to be bottom up. Like, mm-hmm. and I think, look, it's not so much the food pyramid as much anymore. It's more like that, the wheel. And yeah, yeah yep. and it's kinda like vegetables are given a lot more precedence on that. And we've got all our more alternative grains on there. Like we've finally got quinoa and brown rice and all of that sort of stuff there. And then like there's a lot of legumes and stuff. So I think that I don't actually have to, and they're sort of changing as well. Like, it's almost more like focusing on getting, if I focus on, you know, fiber and good carbohydrates, like, you be like, but guys, you could have more sweet potato and dates are a carbohydrate. Like, and, you know, we could have resistant starch by cooling our rice down. So, I suppose, like, I'm not against grains, but I think I want to, I will probably take a all of my classes, the first thing we will learn about will be roundup. I'll be like, so we're not going to be having modern week, guys? No, we will have spelt. And, the, you know, and I think that even that would make a massive difference and we'll learn about gut health. And I think, you know, up until about year 12 when they do their exams, for that I'll have to be like, look, um, this, this is what we're learning um, this is how mainstream nutrition thinks. This is what's in the exam. I did, Miss Favilla did not write the exam. So, this is what you're going to write for full marks. But it doesn't mean that's what you're going to put into practice. The stuff you've been learning all the other years with me, that's what we're going to put into practice. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe I'll try and get on the board the next time they rewrite the curriculum. But it's not as bad now. And like nutrition, I don't know, I don't think it's actually in any other state. It's a science subject, but in um, the senior years, so 11 and 12, nutrition is a science like biology or chemistry is. Mm-hmm. And they've actually got stuff about the microbiome in the curriculum. Like it just got rewritten, I nice. think, a few years ago. And health and wellbeing is a safe subject to like, so 11 and 12. And so that does everything. That does like, that is such a holistic subject. It's like mental health, physical health. And you've got so much scope for where you go with that. So we could do a whole thing on the microbiome, we could do a whole thing on the vagus nerve. Like mm-hmm. that's so I think my creativity will come out. And yeah, I don't think it I don't think it's like when we were at school learning nutrition. Like mm-hmm. it's really has improved and I think kids are quite switched on and I'm maybe this will sound arrogant, but like most teachers also haven't aren't health professionals. So yeah, if anyone totally. questions me, I'll be like, Oh, I'm sorry. Like, are you a nutritionist? <laughs> Have you written four books? I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Um here's my referencing. Um, yeah. So I don't think it'll be too bad. And I think if I just get the kids to understand the core principles and intuitive eating and listening to their bodies, then they can do what they like. But most of them are probably going to realize when they take these inflammatory foods out, they feel good. And then they're not going to care what mainstream says. And I think a lot of kids are skeptical. You know what? Like you look at all the protests that young people do now, they're skeptical of governments and all of this sort of stuff anyway. And, you know, I was 14 going through this. There's the chances are there's going to be at least a few other kids that have probably had these same epiphanies. And yeah. they can, yeah. So I think it's a good time to be going into the classroom with this sort of stuff. I think it's a lot more embraced. And, how, like, I don't think I know anyone that isn't a little bit sceptical of allopathic medicine as a whole because of an experience. And maybe even people that used to be really hardcore, no, you should always trust your doctor. They say that until their doctor gaslights them or just does their best but – I like I don't I don't hate doctors or anything like they probably come across like I do I don't I just feel sorry for them because they got into the profession to help people but the set of tools they were given are, are amazing if someone's you know just had a stroke or been in a car accident but all the preventative stuff all the long term care stuff they're not I they don't really have that many tools but they're taught that they are at the top of the pecking order yeah. and they kind of so therefore almost look down on a lot of other things although they're waking up to nutrition and they have a lot more respect for nutritionists yeah naturopaths this they still put them in the bin unfortunately um but they're starting to go oh the gut is important nutrition is okay anti-inflammatory yeah blood sugar regulation so yeah i think there is the awareness as -hmm. well
0: The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, so you're going to be like an insider agent in the system.
1: <laughs> yes, literally. And I'll be writing musicals about poo and we'll be... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so fun. So
0: fun. Oh, yeah. that's great. And and I'm actually... There's, there's part of me, you know, like we obviously can't tell the future, but there's part of me that kind of worries that as society gets more and more aware of nutrition and health and how it makes them feel and that solving their problems in many instances, not all, but many instances is far easier than they ever predicted. There's part of me that kind of worries that they'll actually make prescribing diets um, a doctor-only thing so that, the you know, the the system retains the power and the tools to help people, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's frightening. But I think the thing is... is Maddie ruins everything. <laughs> Maddie, like, yeah, actually, no, you know what, let's just end it here. We're all fucked. Bye. Um. No. um But I think that's the thing. It's kind of like that's when that's I think that's when your podcast and resources like my book and all of that are so important because it's like at the end of the day, you get the autonomy over your own body. You get Mm -hmm. to say. So you can be like, thanks, Doc. Um, I'm going to go just read this book, So I'm just going to go listen to this podcast and make my own decisions. So I think ultimately if they did do that, it's going to crumble like the system will crumble and we will just grab our non-GMO popcorn and be like. Sorrel, so, so, what was that, sorry, sozzles. I don't know what, it, I was going to say sozzles and then I was like, that doesn't sound professional. I'll say sorry, <laughs> and then it just Mercury retrograde, messing with my speech.
0: We are not professional on this podcast.
1: <laughs> no, it's fine. I just said get fucked, so. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, I've got a, got a question for you and um, I'm wondering if you have had this experience or anyone you you know or have worked with um, in the context of your autoimmune disease and how that unfolded. Did you ever find organ meats, were a part of that solution or have you ever ventured down that path?
1: I have actually. So, um, it's funny, I'm a vegan now um, and I can explain why. Uh, I don't necessarily preach it. I'm not like putting everyone on a vegan diet, um, but it just works for me currently. But uh, when I was 18, I um, I was obsessed with bone marrow. So like I would buy those big dog bones from the butcher, and I'd slow cook them, and I loved the connective tissue. I'd like eat that. I liked it more than actual meat. So I would just sit down with a bowl of connective tissue and herbamare, and everyone else would be having chocolate cake. I'm like, they're like, aren't you missing out? I'm like, mm, beef tendons. Mm. Um, and I'd totally also, I'd get start, that
0: uh, This is making me hungry right now.
1: Orgasmic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and I'd like have the like the teaspoon with like the, the long like. Um, the bone shafts with the marrow, and I did do a bit of mm-hmm. liver for a while. wasn't my favourite. It did make me feel amazing, but the taste was a bit much. Um, I think I've, I made a meatloaf yeah, once, like 50-50 chicken livers and chicken hearts. That was actually quite nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yep. yeah, I think definitely it served its purpose. I feel like almost what happened was I craved it for like probably 18 months and then it was like my body just put this switch on. It was like, we're done. We don't need any more of that you're like that right. served its purpose yep. and all of a sudden it made me feel sick so yeah right. but again like it's fine i was just yeah. intuitive i'm like oh we're not doing that anymore so long marrow. but it was, yeah,
0: yeah totally no i asked that because i know a lot of um there's a lot of talk and a lot of anecdotes by both practitioners and um like you know people trying to fix their own stuff um with the organ space that if you've got an issue with a particular organ, you can either eat that organ or supplement that organ, and that it has a really positive, you know, like for like ty- type effect in the body.
1: Oh, I also had brains once as well. They were
0: weird. <laughs> they were weird. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they were weird. I was just like, what am I eating?
0: I wonder if we eat brains if we get smarter.
1: Well, if I'm anything to go by, no, no, it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> Come on. <laughs> it
1: was that one time. Um. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's interesting. I, yeah. Um, I suppose that does make sense. That's kind of more roasted a little bit homeopathic, mm. in a way.
0: Yeah. yeah, no, it totally is. Um, and, and I guess as well, like the the vegan move. Are you happy to share why oh, or 100%. what motivates that? Because um, yes. I guess my my thought as a nutritionist, um, and there's lots of thoughts that can be right at the same time. And is that the government and you know the food industry is very much pushing us towards this uh, plant based sort of you know idea model um, and in my opinion that's mainly a capitalist move and less about health but because people associate vegetables with health they blindly accept that it's that simple um, and and I think personally that meat and animal protein is a significant should be a significant part of most people's diet you go
1: Hundred <laughs> hundred okay I have so many opinions. I'm so excited to talk about this. Um, so I used to be 100% the same as you. I almost mm-hmm. was like, well, I don't actually know if you can be a healthy vegan. Um, I was like, yeah, well, I mean, I ate bone marrow, let's be real. Of course, I think that. Um, but then, so this was like the other part of my kind of my story. So when I was 19, I, I wanted to come off all my medication. I was down to just one tiny little dose of azathioprine, which is an immune suppressant, um, mm-hmm. just... And my um, specialist was kind of just happy to have that me on that for the rest of my life as like preventative, and I'm like, I don't really want my immune system suppressed for my for my life. Like, yeah, I know. Anyway, and um, he was like, well, okay, um, but how about you have another liver biopsy just to make sure that you know everything is really good? And in now this is again like where intuition comes into it. I was like. I really don't think I should have the surgery. Like I feel fine. I know that it's safe. Just, I know that it's safe for me to come off this. I'll be okay. But I would again, I was like, I know for his peace of mind and his records, he'd really like to have the evidence. So I had the biopsy and something went wrong. So when I was, um, a kid, like they treat it with so much more care. They put you under general anesthetic. They're so gentle. You're, you stay in hospital overnight with a weighted sand sack over the biopsy site. You're not allowed out of bed for like 12 hours. They're They're really gentle. As an adult, it's day surgery, local anesthetic.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: was awake the entire time and I don't right. think they quite gave me enough because I could still kind of feel it oh. and it didn't feel good. And then I was in excruciating pain afterwards, but because I'd never been awake straight away afterwards, I thought, oh, maybe I would have felt this way if I had mm-hmm. been awake, um, all of that. And I – but something wasn't right and I was re- – like my belly got really swollen and all of that and they hadn't read my forms and they kept trying to give me juice and sandwiches and I was like – I said I can't have that in my Damn room. hospital <laughs> food. <laughs> um, anyway, i like, do I have a juice box? Do I look like I'm five? actually don't answer that. Um, and <laughs> – and anyway so I was like I really don't think I should go home but at the same time I'm like and they kept trying to put um so I had to have pain medication but then they kept because I was in pain they kept trying to give me more and I'm like no my liver's had enough trauma for one day like just and I had like my rose essential oil spritzer I'm like there's a spritzer in my bag just spritz my face and I think the nurses thought I'd they were like she's crazy but anyway so I like feigned feeling better I'm like no actually I think I'm starting to feel better just let me go home and I thought I was gonna die honestly I was just I had the highest temperature and anyway turns out I had internal bleeding um initially but then I started having gallstone attacks so I didn't know what they were I just had this really like sharp it was just this it was in my shoulder tip but it radiated like all down my back and around my right rib cage and I just proved checked I vomited for like till it was just bio and nothing was coming up and I I oh. didn't know what it was and I had so that happened I think so the surgery was on the Wednesday that happened for the first time on the Friday Um but then it went away and we're like oh maybe it's just I don't know post-surgery stuff um, then it happened again on the Sunday I went ended up in emergency. Um but they by the time I'd actually got through the triage, um everything had settled down, my blood tests were fine, and he's like, Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that was internal bleeding, like yeah, you probably shouldn't have you probably should have been that should have been treated with more care. so then I was like, oh, it's internal bleeding, okay, I just won't exercise for two weeks, and it'll be fine and then over the next six months or maybe five months, I kept having just randomly it would seem at night these attacks maybe like once a fortnight or. Anyway, and I was um in my second year of uni, and we were doing pathio- path physiology, pathology, and clinical science, and we were doing the gastrointestinal system, and we started learning about gallstones, and they were listing the symptoms. So I'm like, what? And I, I was, I was doing the lecture in the bath, and I was, so it was like splashing. I'm like, that's that's what I've been going through. Um, and yeah, I went to my GP, and I'm like. I think I have gallstones because I'd been to her. I'd been to my Cairo. They didn't know what was going on, and she's like, "You don't have any of the symptoms," and I'm like, "I think I have all the symptoms," and but she was like, "But you're not overweight, and you're not over forty. Like, doesn't yeah. really generally." And I'm just like, "Yeah, but like, what else is this?"
0: And also, I
1: thought it was funny for a GP who was always gaslighting me about an eating disorder. She was very um, uninterested about how much I was vomiting. I'm like, shouldn't really? be more concerned about this? Or maybe she thought I was bringing it on. She's like, did you forget that you were sticking your fingers down your throat? It's like, I yeah. swear I didn't. This is involuntary. <laughs> um, anyway, so then she's like, well, I can't, I don't think it's that, so I'm not going to write you a test, like an, to like a to go get a, what was that, a? am having a mental blank. What's that thing? A scan, some sort of scan.
0: Like an MRI?
1: Yeah, no. Ultrasound. Um, Thank you, Maddie. (laughs) Excellent. Yes, ultrasound. So I think I had to go back. I was 19. I had to bring my mum with me and she was basically like, we're not leaving until you write that thing. She's like, well, Medicare won't cover it. You will have to pay for it yourself. So anyway, we did that and I had stones everywhere all in my gallbladder. Right. I enjoyed that follow-up appointment. She was like, she almost choked. She was like, "I'm well, well done for trusting your intuition. Anyway, within five minutes, she's like, well, you should probably get your gallbladder taken out. And I'm like, 10 minutes ago you were denying I even had gallstones. But all right. um, so then I didn't because I was like, I think I've learned that it's not my body's, it's not my organs' fault that this happened. This is something external. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I anyway, sorry, I've waffled along. But the point is is that I worked out that every time I had animal fat or animal protein that seemed to trigger it and I which is which was crazy because that's what I'd always craved that was like healing for me but all of a sudden it made Mm -hmm. me feel sick um so I was like well I guess I didn't want to call myself a vegan I'm like this will just be a short-term thing so I just ate plant-based and Mm -hmm. that it seemed to stop and I didn't live in fear of like oh am I gonna be able to sleep tonight or anything and then it was probably maybe six months later. that someone said, oh, are you a vegan? And I went to say, oh, no, I just don't eat animals. And then I was like, oh, I guess I am. And I I really resisted the label (laughs) because I'm like, I don't really want the label because I don't want in the future, you know, to crave, and it hasn't happened since, but I didn't really want, oh, in the future if I'm craving meat, I don't want to all of a sudden. Either I have to explain myself to people, but not that I should have to, but, you know, once you've done one thing, people are like, but weren't you vegan? You're like, yeah, that was um but also just I I don't believe we need a label but I suppose I've just kind of gotten into it because I'm like it's just it's easier when people like what do you eat otherwise it's like oh well how long do you have um but I have to say going back to the political side of things with the government I don't like what they're doing because it's like I think, you know, I think you can be a healthy vegan because I do think your microbiome adapts. I do think your body gets better at absorbing the nutrients, but I'm not talking about fake meat. I'm not talking about the GMOs that are being used and filled Mm -hmm. and all of that sort of stuff. It's like, do you know what, if you, we can actually get majority of, I don't know if this works for everyone. I think different genetics would probably probably play a role in how good you absorb certain things. Um, And of course your microbiome, but like you can, for the most part, get everything you need, but you have to be really switched on. You have to be eating, you know, and you have yeah. to like legumes and nuts and seeds. If you don't like legumes, nuts and seeds, you can't be vegan pretty much because you are going to become nutrient deficient um, and you have to eat quite a lot of them. So if you're scared of eating nuts because you think they're fattening, you're going to become deficient in things like zinc and um, all of those sorts of things. But yeah, I think whereas now there's that push towards, you know, oh, plant meats and plant sausages and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, and you know, even all the a lot of plant milks are just like mostly water with a whole lot of additives. And if that's your idea of veganism, then that's not good. It might be cheap, but it's not yeah. going to be wholesome. And then I don't think it's going to be fair because then if people go, I sorry, I'm mushing my words, but I don't think it's fair for us to look at a vegan that eats that and go, oh well, well they should be eating animal products. It's like I think the thing is, it's like we all need to eat real whole foods. And really mm-hmm. quality ones, nutrient dense ones. And then, yes, yeah, some of us might choose plant proteins, some of us might choose animal proteins. Hopefully, most people are choosing both. Um, and you'd really, if you're eating plant proteins, you only need a little bit of animal protein to actually mm-hmm. make the most of that as well. So, they, that would be a much more probably sustainable route for a lot of people, like even cooking their beans in chicken broth or something like that. But it's really complex. And I think we're so probably controversial to say this, but so overpopulated that, Mm -hmm. or maybe we're not, maybe we've been told we're overpopulated and the only way to feed everyone is through GMOs and agriculture and maybe that's not true. I actually don't know. I'm almost scared to look.
0: It's totally Um, a rabbit hole, right? Yeah. I think that's a great answer because I think that um, like most vegans are functionally deficient it's not that the nutrition is not available to them. It's that in the first month of their diet, they were like motivated by animal ethics or whatever, whatever thing motivated them to behave this way or that it's good for the planet or it's good for their spirituality or it's good for their health. And in the first month, they were excited. So they went to the farmer's market and they went here and they went to the, they, the naturopath shop that they've never been to before. And then after that, the, the hype of the diet died down and they were like, oh, I can't be bothered doing all that. So, they are like they end up being functionally deficient rather than it's like, you know, the diet doesn't actually have the nutrients available.
1: Oh, I love that you said that. Thank you. Yes. Because that's the thing. If you uh, eat, like making the most of every mouthful as a vegan and cooking mm-hmm. everything from scratch and, you know, having your red lentils and all of that sort of stuff. And like spirulina, I almost think is a must as well.
0: Yeah, um,
1: Iron And all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, 100%. And you have to look after your gut. Because mm. the gut will actually make a lot of nutrients for you as well. Mm. So the ones you're not getting, it'll probably, and like that's just what we know of. What if the body can make other nutrients, but we haven't quite discovered that yet because PubMed doesn't have that piece of paper <laughs> as, as we speak. Um, so, yeah, you're right, but there's so much marketing. And like as well, people are like, oh, it's vegan. It must be good for me. It's like, no, Oreos are vegan. Again, you have to read the ingredient list. I don't care if it's vegan. It has to be real food.
0: Totally, and and that's like McDonald's and Burger King and Hungry Jacks and all of these, you know, KFC, all these places that are, you know, have their plant-based option, which they know from a marketing perspective that if it's got plant-based on it, it will be masqueraded as the healthy option to the masses, and the masses will think they're making a healthy decision. And you could even go to the other side. So they're obviously not making a healthy decision because there's about 500 ingredients in those burgers. But the on the other side of it is that like you might also think you're making an ethical decision. But, you know, plenty of animals are killed in order to make room for massive amounts of crops. And, and as well, McDonald's still killing plenty of cows for their burgers.
1: <laughs> yeah, and there's some talk about the bees that the Roundup is destroying. And, um, yeah. you know what, speaking of Maddie Ruins everything, uh, <laughs> do, shall we tell everyone what happens when the bee population goes extinct? Oh, no.
0: Do you know Paul Stamets? No. Well, he's solved the world's bee problem. So he's the world's leading research professor in mushrooms, mushrooms and mycelium. His podcasts on Joe Rogan are like mind-melting. He's such a good storyteller. Um, but he found a a compound in a particular type of mycelium that you line brand new um, bee, what do you call them? Beehives. No, they're not. What, what are the ones you have on farms? Do you Be- store? No. Are they beehives? I don't know. Anyway, um, but you line these this mycelium through through the place where they live, whatever that's called. I um, think it is
1: a beehive.
0: Yeah, but isn't a beehive what happens in nature? I don't know. Anyway, anyway. This, mycel- this mycelium um, basically neutralizes the the roundup, that the molecule that damages the bees.
1: <gasps> what a king.
0: Oh. I know. <clears throat> He's a legend. What was
1: his name? What was his name?
0: Paul Stamets, I want Paul to get him Stamets. on the podcast, actually. Yeah. Lovely so and he's got Paul. these things you can buy on his website too that um that uh, like help feed bees basically. This and you just hang them near your house to help proliferate the bee uh, community all over the world.
1: I love that mushroom saving us once again.
0: I know, I know. Um, anyway, I've loved hanging out with you. You're awesome. Um, where can everybody find you online and get some more of you?
1: Uh, so my website, um, all the W's dot real soup for the real Um, so oh, there you can, um, you can get all my books, you can click on the work with me tab. I've got all my services. There's my blog from like back in the day. Oh, there she is. There's my baby. <laughs> um, also just on the conversation, we just had my fourth book is called fake meat isn't food and other things nutritionists yell about. So. People want to know more about that topic. Um, And then Instagram, just my name, Rachel Favilla. Um, I am on Facebook, either Rachel Favilla or Real Soup for the Real Soul, but I generally hang out more on Instagram. Um, I just Mm -hmm. find that platform a bit more fun. But, yeah, website 100% is the best bet.
0: Amazing. Did you know, fun fact, I've had one of the authors from Chicken Soup for the Soul on the podcast. (gasps) Really? Yep. Actually, I've had, I've had him on twice and one of the episodes got censored by the US government in court.
1: Oh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. What have we said today? Oh, my God, now I'm really nervous. <laughs> I'm
0: Maddie <sorry>. ruins everything.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, government. I love you. I don't really. But, yeah, whatever it says to stay out of jail.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so to wrap up, what is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about?
1: that you have to read the ingredient list, not the claims on the front, not the nutrition panel, the ingredient list. And if you see anything genetically modified or anything you can't pronounce unless it's a herb in its botanical name, there's an exception there, it's not food and it does not belong in your body.
0: Love it, love it, love it. Maybe we should do an episode of uh, educating everybody on how to read labels.
1: I'm done. Please book me in. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) it's like my sole purpose in life that and astrology
0: (laughs) love it well Rach thanks so much for hanging out today I really appreciate you having the um, time and the courage to share your story and and you know inspire other people to do what you do so thank you
1: oh well thank you for having me on your show it was a pleasure I can't wait to come back
0: you are very welcome we'll catch you soon bye bye